Hi everyone, welcome to Perspectives, an ongoing speaker series at Go Group where we celebrate and highlight the unique voices of employees and those in our communities. Following up on our Women's History Month panel back in March, we are excited to be back, this time specifically in celebration of Pride Month. In today's conversation, we will be exploring the LGBTQIA community and the unique lived experiences and perspectives of some of our team members here at Goat Group. Now, I will turn it over to our four very special guests for the day. Enjoy. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Jason Brown. I am the Director of People Experience and Planning here at Goat Group on the People team. Um, I joined a little over two years ago, actually more than two years ago, at the um, start of 2020. My pronouns are he, him, his, and yeah, turn it over to you. Cool. Hi, everyone. I'm Nobly. I'm the Senior Talent Acquisition Associate. Um, I've been at Grow Group for about two and a half years, going on three. I don't have a preferred pronoun. Um, I'm comfortable with people addressing me as he, she, or they. At the end of the day, I'm just nobly. I'm confident with who I am, you know, knowing who I am as well. And whatever people are comfortable with, I'm comfortable with that as well. Awesome. Andrew. Thanks, Nobly. Um, Andrew Breen, Vice President of Customer Trust and Experience. I'm coming up on my third year here at GOAT. Um, pretty unbelievable. Um, pronouns he, him, his. Um, and yeah. Hi, everyone. I'm Alana Wollers. I am the fulfillment manager over at Carson Warehouse. Uh, I've been with GOAT for almost five years in September, um, so an OG. Um, my pronouns are she, her. Um, yeah. I think we were instructed to kick things off by talking about our hometowns and where we grew up. So, Andrew, I'm going to pick on you. Yeah. Um, so I come from um, a family whose uh, father was uh, um, in the military. Um, so I was born in Andrews Air Force Base in Virginia, not named after the Air Force Base, mind you. Um, but um, every two years we'd move. So um, I was able to live in San Francisco, Virginia, Pennsylvania, Germany, um, and finally New Mexico. That's awesome. Oh, that's cool. Um, I was born in Rancho Santa Margarita in Orange County. It's a very small, um, it was a new community my family had moved into for the school district. My dad was a teacher um, and then underwater photographer. So pretty, pretty cool dude. But um, we were, you know, very, very, very conservative um, Christian family. Uh, my aunt was gay, but I did not know any gay people um, around and it was very, very cookie cutter where I grew up. Um, very great place, but very cookie cutter. Thank you for sharing. And then I am actually originally from Hong Kong, born there. And then I moved around quite a few times when we first immigrated to America. We were in South Carolina. And then, um, I mean, there wasn't that much diversity there. So my parents definitely wanted to move to California. So in California, we lived in Alameda, we lived in the Sacramento, we lived in San Pablo, and then we eventually got a place in Fremont. And so I moved to two different places in Fremont, and I'm pretty much, you know, Bay Area raised <laughs> for yep. sure. Um, but, you know, traditionally, traditionally, my ethnic background is Chinese, so can totally resonate with you, Alana, on like more of the conservative side. Um, my parents are Christian as well. Um, and yeah, that's a little bit about me, but I have a, you know, Fremont buddy yeah, sitting fellow, next to me. <laughs> fellow Bay Area. Um, yeah, we we both grew up in, um, in, not only in Fremont, but our high schools were literally down the street from each other. Mm -hmm. And correct me if I'm wrong, there's an episode of My Super Sweet 16 filmed at your high Watched school. It, yeah. yeah, that's <laughs> exactly. <great. laughs> um, but yeah, no. Um, so I obviously grew up in, in the Bay Area. I did not move around as much as you did. I, um, In fact, my parents are still in the same home that I was born in. Um, Fremont as a city, it's it's great for someone like me who's um, identifies as AAPI, who is multiracial, to grow up in a city that had so many other Asian people. Um, and so there was that diversity there. Diversity does not always translate, though, into, you know, necessarily the type of environment that's great to be a queer person growing up. I would say it was awesome to be in California, but I also grew up in a very conservative religious family, the kind where, you know, you don't read Harry Potter because it's considered witchcraft and wizardry. Yep, same here. Yep. No Harry Potter. <laughs> uh-huh. I'm, I'm reading book six now uh, just to catch up, you know, a long time later. But, um, it, you know, it's, in some ways I, I am grateful, though, that I'm Californian at my roots because I still feel tied to a state that 
has sort of the values that I now very much appreciate having in my life. That's cool. Nobly, do you feel like you're tied to a place even after all you're moving around? Yeah, definitely. I feel like I'm very much so tied to the Bay Area and moving to LA was quite an adjustment for me um, in terms of like more people culture because in the Bay Area, we talk with a lot of slang and that was something that I feel like I kind of had to change um, when I first moved here, um, especially, you know, just going into like the professional work field. Um, and plus, I started more on the recruitment agency side, and we have to be very, very um, formal, more so, um, you know, suits and ties type of thing. So, yeah. yeah. I will say it's confusing that Hella has become part of I think, <laughs> oh, like yeah. a lot of people's vocabulary because I used to be able to know, oh, you grew up in the Bay too, just because someone would drop it in, in, yeah. in, in conversation. Yeah, I always felt um, like, Moving around as much as I did when I was younger made it harder for me to feel like I was part of a community and to feel secure. And I think when I look back at um, coming out and feeling comfortable about um, being gay, that was part of what was the real challenge for me is that I was always moving someplace new and trying to um, get into the community. I'm curious, like from your guys' experience, like have the communities that you guys or the areas that you guys lived in like did you guys feel supported being who you are like what was your background and story on that uh not in orange county Mm -hmm. um it's definitely still a different world on there i mean i've never had a problem with like discrimination you know still when i go down to orange county you know i have to look at my girlfriend and be like oh fiance sorry and be like we're in orange county like, remember that. Like, people are going to look at us. People are going to stare, especially because, like, I'm more masculine-facing. But um, I honestly, like, don't really identify with Orange County that much. I'm more identify with, like, an East Coast vibe. Um, living in New York, coming out in New York, um, family from, like, Massachusetts. Like, I'm definitely more, like, hard. Like, you said slang. I'm definitely more um, real in your face, like, East Coast. Yeah, I mean, I would say for me, like my, so I came out when I was um, in my mid-20s. And uh, by that point, I was already living in San Francisco. Very different from, you know, in Fremont, right? It's hard to be like a high schooler coming out at that point, as opposed to living in a place where literally a lot of the gay rights movement was born and where there's just rainbow flags everywhere. You know, we talk a lot amongst our community about the importance of safe spaces and protecting those safe spaces. And to this day, I have a tattoo on uh, my shoulder uh, that is meant to remind me every day when I look in the mirror of the city, San Francisco, where I came out in, because it was so special to have that safe space where I felt comfortable, you know, walking down the street and holding someone's hand or, you know, maybe, maybe talking with a little bit of a gayer voice and not feeling like I had to self-check myself about that. I have a tattoo at Brooklyn as well. Yeah. Yeah, I have BKLYN um, tattooed on me as well. And I got it with a girlfriend. We both have the same ones, but we both agreed that Brooklyn was such a significant part of our story and our lives that, um, like San Francisco for you, it was Brooklyn for me. I loved how you touched on coming out in your 20s because that is actually what recently just happened to me. Mm-hmm. And so um, I don't define my coming out story as in like the first time I told my friends because I did tell my friends in high school when I had a secretive relationship um, with my first girlfriend ever. Um, But when I actually had came out to them, they were like, well, nobly, like we kind of already knew type of thing. (laughs) Like you didn't have to tell us. And it was just like a very easy transition because they're like, you know, we already love you and accept you for who you are. So my coming out story is definitely in the last few months when I actually had to confirm it with my parents. Um, It was very different than how I actually had imagined it my whole life. Because when I was was a kid, I was like, okay, um, when I do come out to them, it's going to be, I have a serious girlfriend, I'm in a relationship, I'm just going to come home and just be like, hey, like, this is my girlfriend without even having to say it. But I just recently got into my most serious relationship, you know, moved in with my girlfriend and everything. And I was thinking to myself, like, I should actually make this experience separate. Um, my relationship in itself is very special, um, and so is telling my parents. And I actually told them separately, too. So my dad on the phone separately, my mom separately as well. And, you know, I thought it was going to be a very hard conversation with the both of them, but it actually was much easier than I've ever imagined in my life. And it was been such a pinnacle moment um, for me in this last year. Yeah, you know... Um Thank you for sharing that. I, I, I share a lot in common with your story. 
especially around the fear of how your parents will react. Um, and so I didn't come out until I was, officially come out until I was 27. So I came out after high school, um, moved to New York, met a woman, thought that was the right thing to do, fell in love, got <laughs> married, um, and then realized that wasn't really the right relationship for me, and eventually came back out at 27. And so I remember going to my parents' house, knowing that I'd have to explain I'm getting a divorce, and here's why. And I was petrified, and I went to my mom first, right, because she was always my, I was a little closer to my mom, mm -hmm. and I thought she might be the safe space, right, start with the mom. Um, and I started to tell my story, and she goes, stop, we got to get your dad. And so she pulled my dad into the room, and then I shared it with both of them, and they were so open and loving, right, this, this man who spent his life in the military, awesome. where I thought that he'd be really, um, really concerned. Um, he just was in a place of love, and it was really extraordinary. So, you know, I think so many people have this fear of what that conversation is like with their parents, and, and I think oftentimes the fear sort of builds it up um, more, than, more than the reality of what it's going to be. So it's great to hear that they were so open. Yeah, at the end of the day, I think, like, with your family and friends, like, they just are, they just want what's best for you, and they want you to be happy, and that's, you know, how, you know, who you are and how you want to live, like, by all means, like, do you be authentically you, like, for sure. Yeah, my story was actually a little bit of all of your guys's. Um, I actually did not know I was gay until about 19. I had no interest in boys, girls, and I just wanted to play soccer and party. That's truly all I <laughs> wanted to do. And I literally, all my friends, like, in high school, were like, oh, did you ever, like, you know, think I was cute? And I was like, literally, no. Like, I did not <laughs> have any sexual attraction to anybody. I really just wanted to play soccer. That's all I wanted to do. And when I got into college, I met a girl, very serious relationship. On our winter break, I flew back home. And I kind of, what we call it, my tour. Um, and I went around and told, you know, my mom. I told my aunt first, who was gay, and she stood up and started clapping. It was the funniest thing. It was so embarrassing. It was at an island's <laughs> restaurant. Um, and I kind of just, like, went around and told, like, everybody. Uh, my mom was a little bit, in, I think, in shock. My mom always had this idea of me being this, like, beautiful butterfly, like marry this like really good looking man. It's like a doctor, like just some unrealistic thing that wasn't me. And, um, when I told my dad, it was a lot harder. He has a lot of like strong Christian values. I, I consider myself a Catholic, so I also have strong Christian values, but in a little bit of a different way. Um, I think my dad was also dealing with some of his own demons. Um, but the woman that he married gave me a hug and was like, I'm going to talk to your dad. We're going to get through this. And so my dad now, and I have the most incredible relationship um, sorry, I'm going to get a little emotional. Um, he loves my fiance. And, um, but yeah, it's like nice to feel like accepted um, because I'm still the same person. But, you know, when I told my friends, they're all like, oh, no, we knew, like, we knew that's who you were <laughs> and stuff. But it's nice to have your parents, like, accept your partner as, you know, your heterosexual brother sister is same thing so um wow i did not think this was gonna happen to you know i let the let the tears happen because i mean i'm starting to tear up a little right now i think that there's such a commonality of an experience for those of us in the community of this this bravery that has to come with facing that and telling the people who you've known you the longest hey there's something about me that because i know you care about me i want you to know and the reason I say there's a bravery is because you don't always know how they're going to react. We come from, you know, decades where most, not most, but many people who go through that journey end up getting kicked out of the house. And I, I want to acknowledge, like, nobly, that is awesome. And I'm so proud of you that that has happened, you know, in your, you know, this last year, because yeah. that is, wow, I, I'm, I'm just really, really happy for you. Um, for me, you know, my, my story in coming out to my parents is, probably a little bit different. I, you know, I mentioned I came up, grew up in that uh, conservative and religious household. I came out in my mid-20s in terms of started dating men. But when I was 19 in college is when I was first trying to tell people that I was struggling with the sin of homosexuality. I was very much trying to pray the gay away. And to their credit, I came out to my parents in the middle of an argument, which is not an ideal way to come out. But my conversation with them turned into two or three hours getting yelled at in the back of a car of how I was choosing this and how this was Satan's work and how I was being poisoned. And 
You know, it's really hard to talk about that still to this day because I've gone through, you know, therapy, a lot of growth with my parents. There's a lot of forgiveness, but um, that we're at, and we're at a good place now, but it, it still is kind of seared in there. Um, I'm one of the lucky ones because I've, I've managed to reestablish that relationship with my parents. And, um, you know, it, it took us a long time. It took us like about six, seven years to really come back together on that. And when I see you tearing up like this, like, I, I think it's okay for us all to do that. I, I'm so glad that there's more movies now that where you see people coming out to their parents and their parents accepting them. Like the number of times I've been in the middle seat in the back row of an airplane, just like bawling because I'm watching the ending of, you know, a movie like Love, Simon or something like that. Like, it, it still gets to you, even if it's been years and years since that happened. Yeah, it's it's definitely like, I'm back now. I'm good. Um, it's crazy because I think about, you know, what that moment was with my dad and, you know, this person that I loved so much that I really thought I was going to share the rest of my life with. And, you know, him telling me, you know, a lot of people who love you aren't going to come to your wedding. And it's like, they don't love me. Then they don't love me, right? That's, they're not there for me. And, you know, we don't really talk about it now. You know, the rest of my family has been really, really great. Um, all my friends have been so amazing. Um, when I kind of transformed into like the person I am today, a lot of my friends' parents were like, this is the best version of you. This is the best for We've known you since you've been five, six years old playing soccer. And this right here is your best version. And we're so happy for you to come into your own. And to have people say that to you that like aren't your parents as well is it's like they're noticing and, and this is where you're supposed to be. And this is like truly where I'm supposed to be in life. Yeah, and I think what's so incredible about those relationships, like those friendships, is it, and therapy, it, it it helps you get past a lot of this feeling of shame that that a lot of us, you know, I can't speak for you guys, but um, you know, you sort of are left with this feeling of this unnecessary shame that something is wrong with you, um, you should be different, um, and that that story gets repeated to you um, from the outside world, and so those friends are so critical to sort of reinforce that you're actually okay the way you are, and it sort of helps release some of the shame. But um, I think, at least for me, releasing that shame is a lifelong journey and always will be because of how it can affect you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that with that, you know, on the pun intended, note of pride, I think there's a lot of pride that we can carry with ourselves, though, of the fortitude with which we say, I'm going to look that shame in the face and I'm basically going to be like, not today, right? Mm-hmm. not ever. And that is a daily journey. That is not something that you know, you have that magical climax of coming out and, oh, you're, it's done and you're, you're good now. Like, we're all happy, rainbows, right? No, like, that is still day to day. And, you know, there's still world events going on of plenty of places here in the U.S. where people are trying to shut down pride parades, still trying to reinforce that shame. And that only, you know, raises the importance for us celebrating pride and still boldly saying, like, you know what? The moment you let me feel that shame or that fear is the moment I let you win. So I'm going to be even more proud. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't find myself being, I feel like a good enough member sometimes in the, in this community. I don't, you know, I think nobody, you and I've talked about this Mm -hmm. before, not really having a lot of friends in this space, you know? Um, But the more that I meet, it, it just feels nice to have people in common that just understand me and understand like what I'm going through and, um, you know, I wish there was more like, I don't know, maybe there are but like gay meetups or something, you know, like, isn't this one, I guess this is a gay <laughs> mm-hmm. meetup. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's Jason, I'm, I'm with you and in the sense of, you know, being raised in a religious, you know, and I still go to church and it's sometimes hard to sit in those pews and know, okay, everyone, you know, we talked about this, everyone hate, doesn't really love you, right? They don't love you. They think that you are not a good person um, because of who you love. And, you know, a lot of people think this is a choice and, I want to make it very clear it's not a choice this is something that is you're born with right um i think some people might choose it but um you know that shame definitely still lingers with me and it's definitely like with religion it's a fine line for me um of where do i stand up and you know believe in it and all i know is god loves me god made me this way god gave me this person that loves me so much made me healthy and that's my story and i'm sticking to it so at what age did everyone feel like they discovered their identity? Oh, that's such a good question because there's the, there's the difference between awareness and acceptance. So mm-hmm. for me, like I was aware probably five or six that I was just different. 
probably because of the toys I chose to play with. <laughs> so it was the Miss America Barbie versus the G.I. Joe. No, seriously, mm-hmm. she was my favorite. Um, and at first I realized I, and I, there wasn't, when I was a child, there really wasn't any shame in it because it was just naturally what I wanted to play with. As I grew older, I realized, oh my gosh, this is, this is different. Um, and then, of course, through puberty, then there was like um, different sexual desires, right? I realized I had a different sexual appetite than, than what I thought most of my friends had. Um, but it really wasn't until my late 20s when I finally officially came out that um, the knowing was a self-acceptance, right? When I could ap- absolutely know who I was, I was comfortable with it. And I think one of the things that I'm most proud of is like every day I get to wake up and just present my true self, right? Like regardless of the, the self-doubt and the, the negative self-talk sometimes and the insecurity, I still get to wake up every day and, and live this incredible life as myself now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we probably can compare notes to the toys that we preferred <laughs> to play with and there'd be a lot of overlap. And, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where just because, let's be clear, just because you play with a certain type of toy, yes or no, does not make you gay or queer. It just means you have an interest. Cool. Right. But going back to what you were saying, right, an early indication of a knowledge of a difference does not translate to acceptance. I remember there was at one point, this was after I came out, um, probably I was 26, 27, and I remember just one day looking in the mirror and being like, oh, I like that person. And it was such a foreign feeling because for 26 or 27 years, I had never felt that. And going back to the shame piece, right, like there is a lot of work that you have to do to, to not only know the identity, but to embrace it. And man, that day that you embrace it, oh, you unlock a new superpower you have never known before. And let me tell you, you get a lot more fun after that. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. I think I was, I mean, like, like I said, I, I think 19 was when I finally was like, okay, I, I like girls. I like this is this makes more sense. I had boyfriends all throughout, but they were just like friends. Like I just wanted to play video games with them and like hang out with them and not touch them. And just it was more like that was what you were supposed to do, and that's what you were supposed to, you know, in high school. And why don't you have a boyfriend? You know, but I always grew up around guys, and I loved you know wearing more masculine like facing clothes. Um, and I always were a little bit more rough and tough, and I didn't really ever want to wear the dresses and wear like the acrylic nails. I never really was like into that, but I think my identity came really about like 21, um, which was like a nice age because you had a drink, you know, legally and um, (laughs) living in New York, it was really great. But I honestly think that it wasn't until I was 26 um, when I met my fiance now that that was the actual identity that I'm supposed to be at. I think this is where I'm supposed to be in the perfect version of me. And um, she's really helped me create who that is. I can totally relate to your story in terms of like, just always been dressing in more like masculine facing clothes. I mean, I've had short hair all my life. So like a part of my identity and Andrew, I love the way you broke it down in two parts. It's, you know, one is awareness. The second part is acceptance. And, you know, honestly, like I've been aware since I was like born, (laughs) if I'm being honest with you, like um, I remember liking a girl when at the age of three, Um, it was back when we were still in Hong Kong, they were trying to make us choose which guy to dance with in our preschool class. And I'm like, I do not want to dance with any guys. I actually want to dance with that girl in the pink jacket. So I remember my first crush. Um, And then just even when my mom used to put Um, girl clothes on me I would immediately cry like I would be crying for hours but I'm still wearing it you know just to appease her and then she would try to put my hair up in a little sprinkler type of form um and I hated that because it made my hair look long um you know again like you know it's I've always known how I wanted to present myself to the world and so like when that wasn't a choice of mine I hated it and so I always wanted to feel comfortable in my own skin and gradually Throughout the years, like my hair got progressively shorter and shorter because obviously the older I got, the more choices I could make for myself. Um, And then when it came to dressing in, you know, more masculine facing clothes, like in the beginning, it was more of like, if you are dressing in masculine facing clothes, then it has to be a bit more colorful. And now I can, you know, wear any type of color that I, you know, want. (laughs) Um, And so I think a part of like my acceptance of myself, it really came from, I think more so 
middle school because in middle school, I remember there was a specific memory that I was scared to go into the girls' locker room because I, I kept thinking to myself, like, are they going to think I'm a boy? Well, I have to walk in anyways because I have to get dressed. So I'm going to, you know, have my eyes looking, looking down the whole time and then get dressed and just, you know, come out. And then so I did that for, you know, of course, like the first week or two. And then, you know, everyone's like, okay, cool. Like, you know, you're a cool person. Like, you know, I want to be friends with you type of thing. And I just, you know, from those experiences um, and more, like it just made me feel more accepting of myself. So I don't think I fully, fully accepted who I am until more so like my early 20s. Um, I'm curious for this group in the sense of not just the embracing of your own identity, but specifically the expression of it. How has that shifted for you over time? Because we were talking, you know, even before we started recording about how momentous it is to cut your hair short or to decide I'm going to put on my nice earrings, whatever it is. Yeah, I cut my hair about maybe like four years ago now. Um, It's been the best decision I've truly ever made, but I was terrified to cut my hair. Um, I'd always see like pictures of like, do you remember when like back in the day on like, I don't know, it was way before, like, social media, it was, like, lesbians of Justin Bieber, like, you know, and I was, like, (laughs) I love that haircut, like, I don't want to look like that, but I like that haircut, but I was, like, oh, no, like, I don't want to, I was so terrified of being, A, identified as a guy, and B, uh, people identify me as wanting to be trans, Um, and I love being a woman, I absolutely love being a woman, I love a woman's body, I love my body, Um, and I remember when I cut my hair for the first time, I did it in phases. Um, I eventually cut it to a place where it was like pretty short. Um, and I remember the first time that I got, you know, we were at going to a festival and they ushered me into the men's line to get patted down. And I was mortified. I literally could not, I was so angry, it like ruined the whole day. And now looking back on it, I'm like, people call me, like, especially with the mask during the pandemic, like all the time, excuse me, sir, excuse me, sir. And I, now I'm just like, oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a girl. Like, um, but that identity of like cutting my hair and that was, I mean, that was four years ago. I'm now 32. Like it really took me a while. Now I love dressing and like go straight to the men's section. I don't own any type of women's clothes. I even started wearing men's jeans now. And like, I, I truly just, it feels so liberating to be able to actually be exactly what I looked in a picture 10, 12 years ago and be that and have friends that are really like, this is you, like, this is you. Yeah. And with, for me, it's not so much how I physically present myself, but it's almost like how I emotionally present myself. So um, in my younger days, I would sort of hold back my personality um, for fear of being too gay or not being taken seriously at work. Um, And so I think what's exciting for me now is that I get to express myself at work, whether it's humor, personality, a little more emotion, um, or like we were talking about, you know, I'm, I was always worried about my voice thinking that I had a super gay voice, but, um, you know, now I've become much more accepting of that's who I am and it's okay. And I just show up for work and, Everybody gets Andrew, and um, it's very, very freeing. So I think it's, for me, it's not so much the, the outward appearance, just as much as I can express myself emotionally. Yeah. I have to chime in here as the person who loves doing HR and organizational research that there's a direct correlation between how authentic someone feels they can be at work and how engaged they are, like their level of attrition risk. Um, and a lot of that has to do with, you know, The way I always describe it to friends, it's like, imagine you have like a computer and if 15, 20% of that computer processing power is constantly devoted to like, is my voice too high or is my wrist too limp, right? You're just holding yourself back from that 15, 20% more energy and excitement that you can be applying to what you're doing. Yeah. I've been really blessed to work for a lot of companies. Um, I worked for SoulCycle before this. So that was definitely one of the safest spaces to work and be like, who you want to be, but yeah, I, I feel so blessed to work for companies that I can truly be hundred percent me. If I'm being honest that this is the first company where I felt fully comfortable with being fully myself, 110% for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, to you, Andrew, and also Alana, like I can relate to you guys in terms of like the emotional sense and the physical sense, because now I'm combining both. I think um, in my past experiences, it was just more so, 
yes, physical sense, I've always been this way. I'm going to dress the way I've dressed. Um, but I think more of like the emotional sense, like being this vulnerable, being a part of even this podcast and, you know, talking about my story is um, something that I feel like I've always been a bit more uncomfortable with. But given such like Go Group, such a safe space, like and we've created this type of community, like I was like, OK, yeah, no brainer. Like, let's let's give this a shot. Yeah. For, for the newer employees, do you think you could share like what were you afraid of when you first started? And then what was the actual reality? Oh my gosh, that is so I remember so when you tough. started. You know, when I actually first started, I mean, like I said, like I came from the agency space. And so like it was, um, you know, when I, before I actually joined, they were telling me that this is like your chance to create a new identity for yourself. Um, and the way that they saw identity was that you have to be like the most professional person in the room. Like you have to dress a certain way. You also have to speak a certain way to really like assert yourself as more of like a leader leader at the you know at the end of the day. But um, and that's why I think when I came in, like I I definitely felt like I had to speak more uh, more formally. I mean, I still say like hope all is well whenever I slack someone because I I really am genuinely you know feeling that way. Like I hope you guys are well. Um, but that comes from the agency side. And I feel like because I've had such great leaders like, you know, my manager, Nick, I have Caitlin and that have made me really feel super comfortable with just being me. And like even my team members, you know, you guys and my direct team members, I currently work with my hiring managers. They're just like, no, but you're just you like. So I just come into the room and I, I you know, I bring the recruitment expertise and knowledge to the table and I speak the way I want to speak it now. And so that's kind of that's cool. how it is. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to ask the room, um, since we've spent a lot of time reflecting on kind of our past and it feels like we're now very in the present of us here at Goat Group, um, what are some of the ways that you feel, you know, things have changed about you or your life that you're the most proud of? Um, well, I was reflecting on, on that yesterday. Um, and when I look back on my life, it's unbelievable to me that I was born the year of Stonewall. Oh, wow. Um, I remember um, when President Reagan gave a speech on AIDS. Um, we have workplace protections. There can be gays in the military. Um, and I could get married, mm. right? So what I think I'm most proud of is that I stuck with it. Um, I remember there was a time in my life where um, being gay really was a death sentence and felt like a death sentence. Um, I went to far too many funerals. I didn't have a lot of, now I'm gonna go and cry. Um, I didn't have a lot of role models in my life of what a really healthy gay relationship looked like. So I would say in my younger days when I thought about being gay, there wasn't a lot of hope there. You know, and I think um, what I'm most proud of is not only like how far we've come as a community, um, but also that I'm still here and I'm living that life that I didn't think would ever be possible. Um, and, and I'm also really excited that the conversation is no longer about gay or straight. What's really beautiful and what's really changed over the last year, all of these years that I've been able to be in this community is that we're talking about individuals again. Right, so it's not like categories, it's individuals and it's the spectrum and it's not about um, sexuality, it's about gender and it's just so amazingly beautiful and it's just so different than um, being that high school student that thought he might be gay and was just wondering if you know, he might make, it to, might make it to 30 and never have a relationship. Yeah, you know, Lana Nobly, I'll just ask before you jump in, I have a follow-up question, Andrew, um, and this is a little bit, again, for folks who might be listening and when you say Stonewall or you say a lot of funerals, may not understand the full context behind that. Um, can you just explain a little bit of, you know, that history of the LGBTQ community? Oh, yeah, and the, the, AIDS, the AIDS crisis. Yeah, so um, mid to late 80s, um, HIV was not um, prevented with a pill. Um, and early on, um, it was really considered a um, gay disease, and there was a lot of fear around um, HIV and AIDS. Um, and, um, you know, I remember being in New York with ACT UP and Silence Equals Death just trying to get, um, you know, quality care, um, 
to have the government really listen to, you know, what was happening so we could get quality care and medication quickly. And, um, you know, it's, it's amazing to me. Um, like I said, it's just so cool now that we've sort of come out of the other side of that. Um, and, and now we can really focus on futures and not just surviving. Yeah. You know, um, it's, it's important for our community, I think, to preserve and understand that history. And not that you have to know it from day one, but at least to have that openness to it because we stand on the shoulders of giants. I am here because Andrew was at an ACT UP riot, right? Um, well, not riot, ACT UP protests, I should say. Um, Pride is a riot, though. Let's not forget that. And it was started with a riot. Um, and, and I think with that comes a little bit of the responsibility to keep moving forward, right? I'm glad that we have workplace protections in places like California. We definitely do not have it everywhere in the U.S. right now. We do not um, have, most countries don't have any form of protection. In fact, in most countries, it is still literally un- physically unsafe to be out. And we have to kind of carry that baton forward um, and not let pride just become this like, corporatized, yeah, like, hey, buy party. some rainbow sneakers. Though I do own a lot of rainbow sneakers, I will <laughs> say. Yeah, we can't get complacent. Yeah, I think for me, when I look back on my journey, um, from like where I was in my first relationship of six years, um, a very like confused, angry, controlling human um, who was really lost and really didn't have a lot of confidence, which I know is like crazy to think of because, I mean, I, I definitely learned at my older age, a lot of people can have like confident confidence outward, but inward, they're like the most insecure human. And I think that's was like a hard pill for me to swallow that. That's what I was, um, after that relationship ended. And, you know, I, I did some things I wasn't, I wasn't proud of and my character like definitely took a hit for it. Um, I went back to therapy. I went back to church. Um, literally it was like clockwork every Wednesday I'd go to church. It was a 30 minute. I just sit in the pews and like cry and just, you know, and, what really helped me was, was being honest with myself, right? Being honest in therapy. I think a lot of us who've gone to therapy, we like to lie a little bit and make things not as bad as they are because <laughs> we know that it's, you know, the answer on the other side is going to be, well, do you think that's right? And it's not. Um, and I really worked on myself. I took like three years off of dating, um, like seriously, and really just discovered like who I was again. And, you know, I joined Go Group and two days later, I saw the most beautiful woman in the whole entire world and knew I had to have her. Uh, it took a while, it took like eight months. Um, but, you know, I am so happy for the progress that I put in to myself to make myself the ber- best version I can give to her because if I didn't go through hell and back and all the work and being alone. I think being alone is the hardest part. A lot of people, especially in the gay community, because you feel even more alone Um that work really set me up for a really beautiful future. Definitely. I am totally the same way when I think about like what I am super proud of for myself is the beauty within the journey and like the progress. Cause I mean, there was a lot of times in my life where I've had hard moments. Um, I mean, I think it was more, a lot of it was an, an internal battle um, because I think growing up, the privilege was that I didn't get picked on um, being who I am and, you know, how I always presented myself. Um, I was always able to make the friends that I've made, but I think it was an internal confusion. Like, why do I feel the way I feel? Even though I, it's pretty much cemented, like, I know that this is who I am though, but why is this not, quote unquote, the norm, right? Um, And I think the beauty of, you know, our times now, you know, Andrew, you touched on a little bit more about history. I think that we are a part of the societal norm narrative now, which is like what I am most proud of in our society. Like we are just going to continue to progress. And I hope like people that um, continue to be more and more open minded because, you know, it's not black and white. It's a spectrum and we are who we are. And I'm proud to say that like. You know, I, I love having a group of people like you guys, like you, your guys' story is like so inspiring to hear. And, you know, um, Alana, you touched on this a little bit earlier that I also don't have a lot of gay friends. And I think that being a part of this conversation, it's like even opening my eyes to like other people's story and where they have came from and how they discover their identity and how that also kind of like correlates to my story too. Yeah, you know, you, you touched on this idea of how, how, 
amazing it is to be in this society at its present moment, right? We may have places to go, but man, we've come so far. And I want to be clear, like it obviously benefits us in the LGBTQIA plus community, but it really benefits everyone. Like we were talking just before we started recording of the idea of, you know, all of us had to say, instead of being put in this box, instead of being put in this box, like screw the boxes, like I'm just me. And that is a great philosophy of life to apply for anyone, right? Like I think that, you know, I, I, I like to joke, right? Like it's easy to sometimes to see the world in black and white and put people into those cookie cutters, put in those boxes. But man, when you find the gradation in between, it's not just the gray area, it's the rainbow and full of color. And that's the richness of life that I think anyone can resonate with. The idea of embracing a full authentic version of yourself and learning to love it, whether you are, you know, LGBTQIA or not. Yeah, I mean, I, I think having friends in this space is really important. I mean, growing up in Orange County, I had, you know, no, none, no friends like that. And I still don't even have any like non-binary friends. I think, you know, nobody, you're probably the closest to that. Um, my fiance has a ton. She went to an all liberal college. Like she has so many friends in every different space. And I had one trans friend I remember, and he was so kind to answer all my questions, you know, because sometimes people aren't so nice, you know, because they think that you're coming off as judging or you're coming off as, you know, um, you know, mean or not you know, sensitive, but truly you don't know what you don't know. Right. And being in this community doesn't mean, you know, it all right. I don't know what it's like to be, um, you know, a trans man, or I don't know what it's like to be a gay man. I don't know what it's like to be non-binary. You know, I only know what it's like to be Alana. Right. And so I think it's like super important for a lot of listeners to also understand that, you know, when you do find those friends and you do have those questions, you know, don't be afraid, you know, you know, to explore them, to, to get a better understanding, to open your mind, because I, I won't lie, my mind was very close. I thought it was very black and white when I first started this journey. I thought it was like, how can anybody be non-binary? Like, how can anybody not identify as something? Like, you have to identify as something, right? Like, and I think it's been really good for me to meet people like all of you guys to open my brain in the sense of it's not black and white, Alana. It is so much more than that. And there's a lot of things you're just never going to understand. And that's okay. Apologies, Andrews. I, I would like to chime in here because the biggest takeaway from what you just said was that if you have questions, don't be afraid to ask them because I will say this is the first job I've had in my life where people have asked what my preferred pronoun is. And that's made the conversation so much easier for me because now I don't have to think in my mind, like, do I have to explain myself and, you know, biologically what my sex is and, you know, what gender, what, what, what my preference is for, you know, the gender I like, like I don't, now I'm at a place where I don't need to explain myself whatsoever at all. And if you are going to be a part of my life, you have questions, let's be honest, let's have an honest conversation and, you know, you can go ahead and ask me. Yeah. And to your, um, a little bit of a tribute to you, you're so incredibly open that I think that's also part of it is that you just, um, you do have that, that air of confidence where and kindness and openness that um, I think it sort of invites people to ask questions. Thank yeah, you. it's really cool. And swag too. Yeah, <laughs> super swag. Um, super, and, super swag. I'm so grateful for this conversation, but it just kind of reminds me that um, now that we, most of us are working remotely, the importance of staying connected and building communi community at work and um, more opportunity to have these types of conversations because um, it's really been beautiful. Yeah, well, let me ask then on that, what are ways that you feel we can connect at work more broadly speaking and make sure that we stay connected to the LGBTQIA community, whether at work or just in our lives? I mean, it sucks to say, but it's a little bit of, you know, a tricky subject sometimes because you want to make sure that you are respecting also how people feel, you know. Um, I think with me, I've just been super open about like, no, but like you said, like being open about, yeah, I'm getting married. Like my, my fiance, you know, her using the pronouns and kind of opening the door for, you know, that and being really open and being an open book of asking questions. I think that, you know, people want like maybe some more literature out there on it, you know, or more like, Hey, you know, we're going to meet up at in West Hollywood. And even if maybe if it's not like for a pride thing or, you know, they can come out and, you know, just be around in the community. And, and I think just letting people know out there that, you know, we are here to 
answer your questions, right, to a certain degree. I think, um, you know, we are allies of yours as well. Like, you know, I ask a lot of questions to a lot of my friends of people of color that are straight, you know, to, to just ask questions about, you know, how their life is and to get a better understanding of how they live. And I think that for a lot of people listening out there, we are here to be, you know, your allies for that, for this community and to educate you on anything that you are kind of unknown about. And I think just people hearing, hey, you have people that are willing to talk about this openly and freely about this, um, I think is like going to be a really big thing because I know there's a lot of people out there that are probably like, well, I, I want to know about this. I want to know how I can be a good ally, but I don't have any resources to ask. That was so good. That was a mic drop. <laughs> really beautiful. The, just reinforcing the importance of being an ally, whether you're gay, straight, whatever, you know, just be open to the individual and be there with a listening ear and be supportive. And, and to, to that point, yeah, I think everybody at this table would absolutely be an ally if you have any questions or we can be there to help. Yeah. I will say this, you know, you were talking earlier about um, how important it is to have a work environment where your manager and your manager's manager and the partners you work with all like just make an, a very open place. One of the unique things about identifying as LGBTQIA as opposed to you know, me identifying as AEPI is you can literally see AEPI on my skin. You cannot see whether or not someone either identifies as the LG, part of the LGBTQIA community or is trying to figure out if they identify as part of it. I, the first people I came out to were my coworkers because it's often harder to come out to people who you've known for a very long time. But when you have an environment of people who, um, who create that open space, right, and those allies around you, you suddenly are like, wow, maybe I'm not safe at home to be who I am, but maybe here at the office I can be. Uh, a lot of people don't know this, and I'm so sorry to put you on the spot, D-Bay, but D-Bay is our VP of people, and he was my boss at the time that I came out. He was actually one of the first people I came out to. And um, clearly there's a little bit of loyalty there now because I am working with him again um, because you know people want to follow uh, leaders and allies who create those spaces because work is just so much more fun when you have that. Yeah, 100%. Um, and... I think what really did it for me with feeling like for sure accepted was like, again, like people here were asking me questions that I've never been asked before. The pronoun, which is like such a common question, an easy question to ask, but it's actually not as common in other places, right? And so I'm so glad to have like the leaders that I work with um, to be the ones to ask me that, but also I think get to know me on a more personal sense even outside of work, like sometimes, you know, in our meetings, like in our first five minutes, we'll just chat about our lives. And I think even that is just making me feel like, okay, I, I don't have to be this recruitment agency nobly or a nobly that came from the recruitment agency um, to another work establishment and be the same way. I'm going to be nobly with what you guys say, with, with the swag and with the drip and, um, and just be authentically myself. <laughs> I will say on the pronouns piece, just, just for folks to know, right? Like the just because someone looks, quote unquote, a certain way doesn't mean that you can tell, oh, they're going to have these certain types of pronouns. I know plenty of people who use they, them pronouns who present gender expression wise looking like a man or a woman. I know plenty of the opposite way. So you really actually can never assume until you ask. And, you know, someone at work, um, I think it was last year was, you know, very genuinely, they were like, I want to be an ally, but can you explain to me like why is it really important to ask about pronouns? And, you know, we did a little research together, right? For teenagers and children especially, but also adults, when you misgender someone and you use the incorrect pronoun, there's actually a significantly higher uh, chance of suicide or depression and other mental health issues. It's such a small thing that can actually have quite literally a life-changing impact in the type of environment you create. Yeah, because you're choosing what they are and they're not choosing right. it. And I think that it's like the first time you know, because I also ask those same questions, you know, why do we need to know everybody's pronouns, you know, and same thing. And, you know, it's like for the first time people are taking back control of who they are, mm -hmm. right? And you're going to identify me as I feel and not as how I look or how you, you look at me and how you assume that I am, right? Like this is not your life. So, um, yeah, very interesting, very interesting, like movement into that. And I think GOAT has made a really good push, you know, and, um, 
making sure that we are introducing our pronouns and that everyone feels like accounted for in the way they want to be accounted for. Um, and that that's really cool. It's really cool to see. Well, I have one last question for the group, and um, I happen to be a fan of RuPaul's Drag Race, which if anyone has watched it, um, RuPaul, the host, always likes to end the you know penultimate episode by asking each of the finalist drag queens a question, which I will ask you all now. <laughs> and that question is one of self-reflection. We started with talking about our histories and our past. If you could give yourself a piece of advice, your younger self specifically, before you had started on this whole journey of embracing your self-identity, what would it be? To live in hope, don't live in fear. Yeah, I think I'm pretty much the same with that one. Just um, be who you are. Just be who you are, love who you love. And don't make excuses for the way that you act or the way that you look. Um, and just be 100% what you feel every single day. So this isn't really advice, but I would tell my past self that whatever you're going through in that moment, and it may feel hard, just trust that it all happens because it's supposed to. And in order to continue growing, you have to feel uncomfortable to eventually feel comfortable. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I mean, I think like all of us, I've had some pretty rough moments in my journey and I would wanna warn my younger self, those are coming. But man, keep at it because let me tell you, like, you may not be proud of yourself today, but you are going to find a joy and a pride in yourself that you never knew was possible. And it just keeps getting better. And so I'm really glad that we had this conversation. Yeah. I really am. Too many tears uh, for, uh, <laughs> for a Friday morning, though. Yeah, I mean... I think also I, I would just love to say that for anybody out there listening that, you know, is struggling with any type of identity crisis, you know, um, doesn't have to be with your sexuality, but just, you know, who you are, the color of your skin, the way that you look, um, just know that there are people out there that love you for who you are and just exactly the way that you are. And um, the more authentic you are, the more, um, you know, embraced with what you look like and where you come from. Um, just don't be ashamed of that because I, I wholeheartedly believe that God made you the way you are for a reason. Well, on that note, I think we need to figure out when are we doing this drag brunch in Palm Springs with Andrew Brain. <laughs> We're staying at your house. Yeah, yes. I am not yes. getting a hotel. I'm staying Everyone's at your house. <laughs> Andrew's looking a little uncomfortable right yeah. now. He's I'm like, like, wait, it's a three pen room? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I guess we should close out and uh, go about our Fridays, but it's really been a pleasure having this conversation with you all. Yeah, thank you guys for being vulnerable, and thank you for uh, seeing me get vulnerable and embracing that. <laughs>